All right. Um, and Denise has a whole setup out there for the Operation Christmas child. So pay attention to that, right? Yep, keep bringing stuff. Keep bringing the stuff that, you, that we need out there. Let's open our Bibles first to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. So getting back to our study in Genesis, we looked last time really this whole uh, thing about the drama and the dysfunction and the deception that was taking place with, with Jacob and his mother and Jacob, Jacob's father, Isaac. And uh, we, we see some good things and then we see some strange things and things that are not so good. And, and that, that kind of is family life, isn't it? There's some good stuff and some stuff is not so good. But we see uh, that Isaac, you know, he prayed for his wife and she couldn't have children and, and God answers the prayer. That's good, right? We see uh, Rebecca, she, uh, you know, when she was pregnant with the babies, it was twins and she didn't know what was going on. She inquired, it says that she inquired of the Lord and that's good. And God told her that, you know, there's two in there and that the younger would be the heir, the younger would be the one. The older would serve the younger. So there were these two twins, Esau and Jacob. But we also see in the family there this favoritism, right? The, the dad favors Esau and the mom favors Jacob. And, and they kind of like, it's playing, you know, they're playing this thing within the family. Isaac tries to give the blessing to the oldest son, his favorite, Esau, but God had planned for the blessing to go to who? To Jacob, the younger. So Rebecca, the mom, has a plan, and, and the plan is to deceive her husband. Plain and simple. It's kind of like, you know, she wants to help God out. Let's help God do this thing that God's going to do. And the question is, you know, couldn't God have done it on his own? Well, of course he could have. So... She, along with Jacob, they conspire to trick Isaac, and Jacob thereby receives the blessing. Esau comes back, and, and he's really not very happy about it, right? He's angry. In fact, he wants to kill Jacob. And he says, I am, as soon as my dad dies, which he doesn't really die for a long time, but it, it appeared that he was you know, going to die, he said, as soon as he's dead, I'm going to kill Jacob. I am just going to get, get rid of him. So the mom comes up with another plan. Mom's always got these plans, right? Well, let's deceive him, and now let's, let's send him away to my brother Laban. And she comes up with this whole thing. So that's kind of the setup for, for what this is, is happening here now, where we see Jacob, he's on the run. He's by himself. Let's look at chapter 27, verse 45 and 46. Rebecca says this, when your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? And then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women, women who her older son had married. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So she says, well, you know, let's just send him to get a wife from the family because 
I'm disgusted about this. And she's kind of like trying to manipulate the whole situation. Chapter 28, so, so Isaac calls for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padanaram, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel, and take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you became a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So now we see Isaac blessing Jacob, but this time he knew exactly who he was blessing, right? Before he blessed Jacob, he thought it was Esau, but now, and he realized in the end that this is what God's plan was. It's so much better to go along with God's plan than our plan. But God is going to have his way no matter what. And so, so God makes it very clear to Isaac that, that Jacob is the one that needs the blessing, that gets the blessing. And so now, knowingly, he blesses Jacob. And, and we see this, and we see it in the Scripture over and over again, that the, the plan of God is from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see that those three listed together uh, over and over. Verse 6 now, Esau, again, he, he, he sees what's going on here. What does he do? Verse 6, Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob again and had sent him to Badanaram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padanaram. And Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahaloth, the sister of Nebaioth and the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives that he already had. So Esau says, well, you know, Jacob's getting all this, and maybe I, I can do something. He's, he's kind of trying to please his parents. He was already unpleasing to them, and we, we've seen that. But really, uh, to, to get a, a wife from Ishmael, that's really not much better than getting them from the Canaanites. So it was kind of like a little bit of too little, too late, trying to please his parents. The book of Hebrews says that, that Esau was godless. He was godless. So now, all that's kind of like preview or, or to prepare for this, this journey that Jacob is now taking. So Jacob is basically, he is on the run. They've made it into, and his mom has kind of, you know, coached or couched it in this idea of go, go there to get a wife. But really, he's on the run because he knows that Esau will kill him. Jacob on the run. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. He left. He's on the way. You, you have to wonder, like, what was it like for Jacob? This is, this is all change for him. 
This is all different. What is going on here? He, he's now ha- he's having to leave his family. He's having to leave, you know, this mother who, you know, kind of coddled him, it, it appears. Leaving behind everything that he knew. This new chapter in his life. He didn't know how long it was going to be. His mom said, well, you know, I'll call for you. It shouldn't be too long. We'll get this all worked out. How long was it? 20 years. 20 years he's over there now. A lot of drama, dysfunction over there, deception as well. He kind of can't get away from it. He, he, he leaves, you know, this stuff from his mom, and he goes to his mom's brother, and he, he kind of like does the same stuff to him. But David Guzik says this. He says, was it fear? Did, you know, was, was there loneliness? Was there this isolation, this sense of anticipation, like what is going on? Now, you and I, many times in our lives, we, we face this kind of thing where, where what, what is happening? You know, this, this change that has to occur. Maybe, just maybe, uh, Jacob had some kind of regret because, because truthfully, he brought this on himself. Now, yeah, you could say, well, he needed to go get a wife, and, and maybe he did, but when you look back to how Isaac got his wife, who, who took care of that? Did Isaac have to go do it? When you read about it, and that's why you need to read the whole book of Genesis, uh, God provided a wife for Isaac. But now Jacob, he's, he's in this place of uncertainty. He has got nothing now. He's got nothing He brought this upon himself, but even in all of this, even in the situation we see Jacob here, God has a plan, and God meets him on the road. God meets him on the road. He meets him out there. So you and I, we face these changes and different things. God will meet us even there, even if we're in a place where we're there because we blew it, because we made the bed and now we've got to sleep in it. But God can even meet us there, and God will. What does he have? He has an encounter with God, and that's what you and I need, an encounter with the living God. That's what changes our lives, is to meet with the living God. Verse 11 says that that when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't sleep too well with my head on a stone. But that's, the, that's, that's what it was. We'll see the stone's going to come into play in, in a little bit here. In verse 12, he, it says that he has a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on this stairway or this ladder, some of translated as so he has this dream he's out there now again he's all on his own he's by himself and he has a dream and he sees this ladder between heaven and earth the angels are are going you know up and down on this ladder what a picture that must have been and really you know when you when you think about it and you think about what what God was trying to tell him was that there was access to heaven. Even where he was, there, there was this access and, and there was a activity, angelic activity. And I think that's true for you and I today. 
Now, the world has a way to look at this. And let me tell you, it's, a, it's very popular. How many, when, you, when you read this verse, how many of you think of a certain song? Some of you that are old enough. Some of you that, it, even if you're not that old, you've probably heard it, right? What is it? Stairway to Heaven. And, and this is like Led Zeppelin, you know, is one of the, I read this in Genius.com. Uh, one of their most famous songs, probably most well-known for sure, and, and, and many consider it the greatest rock song of all times. But it talks really about a greedy woman who's optimistic about her future. But get this, it says the song resonated with young listeners, opening up a door to a different, a different realm of spirituality and transporting them into a more mystical view of life. The vagueness of the lyrics also allows listeners to interpret the song in their own way, adding to the magic and the mystery of the track. They're making it all that, that all out to be good. Well, whatever it is to you, that's where we are today. This, you know, whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you want, that's the reality of it. But, uh, but just the first two, two lines in the song really kind of spells it out. It says, there's a lady who's sure that all that glitters is gold, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. She's buying her way into heaven. That is so anti-biblical. But if you want to think that way, you know, if it's something that you can kind of get your head around and get into this mystical thing and, and maybe do some kind of drugs to go along with it, because when that was written, that's what was the big thing, right? I, I was there. I, I know all about that stuff. But the stairway to heaven is, is not something that you're going to buy. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 51, he says, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus himself is the stairway. He himself is the ladder. It's not, it's not something we buy. It's not something we can earn or you know, work our way into heaven. Jesus himself is the way. That's why he said that he was the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus. It's a stairway to heaven. So next time you hear that song, I want you to think about this verse, John 1, 51, that Jesus is the ladder, the stairway to heaven. Only Jesus can get us there. Verse 13, what, what happens next is it says that, that there above it, or at the top, stood the Lord, Yahweh. And he said, I am Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth that you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. The Lord personally appears to Jacob on the road. He's by himself. And what does he say? He says, I am the Lord. I am the one who is. I am the, the, the God of heaven and earth. And, and that's what changed. That's what began the change. We're going to see in Jacob's life, it was kind of a progression that takes place. Because notice he says there that I am the God of 
your father Abraham, and I am the God of Isaac. He doesn't say that I'm your God as well. He says, I am the Lord. And maybe it, it appears that, that Jacob was in this place where he, he, he hadn't completely surrendered. He hadn't, he hadn't got to that place where God was his God. Oh, he was his dad's God. He was his grandfather's God, but not his. I think, I think there is this progression sometimes in our own lives where, where, you know, maybe we grow up in a Christian home or whatever, but until the Lord becomes my God and my Lord, it's just it, it, the connection isn't there. The relationship isn't there. We can't get to heaven by our parents' relationship. And some of us had parents that didn't have any relationship with the Lord. So that's not going to get us there for sure. But notice the promises that God gives. And, and you know, I, I prepared this message and worked on this before, you know, yesterday we hear about everything that's happening in, in the land of Israel. But the promises that God gave, and these are promises that he began with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the, the promises that, of God that stand. He promises him what? The land. The land belongs to the nation of Israel. He promises descendants. He promises all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. That is, of course, what we know to be Jesus the, in, the, in the line of, of Israel. Jesus came to be the Savior. We've already talked about that. Very, very important to know, despite what the world is saying, despite what other people are saying, this land belongs to Israel. It is their land. They have every right to defend their land. But he goes on from there in, in, in verse 15. It says that, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So the promises continue, but what a special one that is where God says, I am with you. I am with you. We, we see when you look at this, uh, he says here, I am with you later on. Uh, in chapter 31, he says, I will be with you. And he says in that chapter as well, he says that he has been with me, Jacob says. And that at the end of his life, when he's blessing his children, he says, the Lord will be with you as well. There's something about God's presence, God being with us, that, that is so important in this, uh, in this account, in this uh, life of Jacob, this journey that Jacob is, is on. Where would you want to be without the Lord with you? When you think of Psalm 23, uh, my favorite psalm, where he says, Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. We're, you know, we're all in one degree or another in the, the valley of the shadow of death. We, we really are. But to know God is with us to know his presence with you. He says, I'm going to bring you back to this land. Now, th this is a promise for, for Jacob. He was leaving. He was going to be brought back to the land of, of promise. 
God's plans and purposes, but that's happened with the nation of Israel as well, where, you know, they, they rebelled, they, they fought against God, and, and they were, you know, taken as captives out of the land. But what did God do in 1948? He brought them back to the land, gave them their land again. He says to Jacob, I'm not going to leave you until I've done everything that I promised. That doesn't mean he's going to leave him because everything he promised leads right up to the very end of his life when he would go to be with the Lord. So, but, but this promise means that God is, is going to the very end of our lives as believers. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's going to accomplish what he began in my life, in your life. Sometimes we start to freak out and worry like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know, you know, I'm just feeling so unsteady and unstable. And yet, yet God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to finish what I started. He who began a good work in you. What does it say? He will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The work that he started, he's going to finish. Verse 16, Jacob responds And he says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, he thought, surely the Lord, Yahweh, is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely God's here and I'm not even aware. How often is that true of us? God is there, God is doing something and we're just like clueless. I don't know about you, we get so distracted right by stuff. And we miss this awareness that God is still in control. God is still working. God is still going to do what what God wants to do. Pastor Chuck said it's important for us to become aware of the presence of God wherever we are. He says in a place of discouragement, in a place of defeat, in a place of hopelessness, in a place of despair, that even God is there in those places. God is there. Wherever you are today, whatever you're facing today, God is there. You're just not aware of it. We're not aware of these situations where God says, I'm I'm there. I'm with you. Verse 17, it says that he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, this, this fear that he has not... Not the kind of fear that you and I think of. This is like the awesome fear, the, the fear of God that, that I think is, the Bible says is the right kind of fear, this awesome, incredible respect uh, of, of the, the God of the creation. The fear of God is a good thing. We need to understand who He is. If we understand truly who He is, we will have this awesome respect, this fear. That, that he is in charge, that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. So he takes this pillow, verse 18. Early the next morning, he took the stone that he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. He, he takes this pillow, and he sets it up. It's like a memorial. They, they, they would do this, and it's memorial and the memorial and they you see this at different times in the scripture where they would take stones or they would take whatever and they'd set these things up not to worship them 
but as memorials that something happened, that he met with God there. It's like, it's like we're at different times where you have your Bible and, and maybe God speaks to you in a verse out of, of his word and you maybe make a little note in your scripture of the date and maybe something about it. It's okay to write in your Bible, by the way, just so you know. That's not a bad thing. If you could see, you know, I, there's no writing in this Bible here. I use this one here, but at home I, I have lots of things written, circled and notes written there. And some of them I can't remember. I didn't write enough to remind me like what I was thinking at that time. But it's a good thing to remember. It's a memorial, this stone, where God met with him. God spoke to him. So many times God speaks to us and, and we, we forget all about it. We need to remember. Maybe you need to write it down and put it up. Who was I with? Oh, Chris was talking about, you know, some, we don't mind me sharing this, some difficult times at work, but God gave him a verse to, to like get him through. And he, and he has a special uh, spot at home where he can work at home a couple of days a week and he's got the verse up on the wall behind him. This is a memorial. This is a pillar. This is something that you and I can look at. And there's places along our paths, sometimes they're physical places, sometimes they're scriptural places where God met with us and spoke to us. Maybe, maybe it's that place where you have your devotions and you have a place where this is where I read my Bible. This is where I pray. This is where I spend time with God every day. Do you have that place? You need that place. Maybe, maybe he uses the stone so he doesn't fall asleep. I don't know, because I would have trouble sleeping on a stone. He calls it the house of God, the house where God lives, Bethel. The last section now, verses 20 through 22, Jacob makes a vow, and this is, I find this very, very interesting. It says in verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Interesting, isn't it? We're trying, you know, we're trying to understand where Jacob was spiritually. Where, you know, what was he thinking? What, you know, God had just spoken to him. And, and now J Jacob, it says that he makes this vow. It's like, you know, we get in trouble sometimes. We God, if you get me out of this situation, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church every Sunday. I'm going to give money. I'm going to become a pastor. I'm going to become... It goes on and on. We make these vows. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 makes it very clear. Solomon knew this, that, that and he had a lot of wisdom from God, that if God... If you make a vow to God, well, you need to keep it. And he said this, when you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Later on, chapter 31, God remembered the vow that Jacob made. He brings it up to him. 
But when you think about the way, the way this is worded here, it almost seems, doesn't it, like, like Jacob is making a deal with God. Well, if you do this, then I'll do this. But, but most of the things that he's talking about here are, are things that God just told him that he was going to do. He promised him. Now, some say this, that, it, that this word if could be translated since. So since God will be with me and I will watch over me, then, I, then God will be my God. Since he's going to do this, then God's going to be my God. But, but when, you, when you look at every major translation, it's translated as if. Every single one of them. And I like what David Guzik said. He said, it could be since, but knowing Jacob, it's probably if. Why? Because he's that heel catcher guy, right? He's the deceptive one. He's the one who tries to manipulate. He got, he's got some of that stuff that his mama showed him and, and set an example of. Jacob adds to stuff that God promised, where he's, you know, he talks about having food to eat and clothes to wear. Well, he's out in the wilderness. He's got nothing, and maybe he's worried how he's even going to survive, and he gets back down to the necessities, and, and there's so many things that we think we need in this life, but yet it gets down to just clothes and food. That's what Jesus said, right? Matthew chapter 6, clothes and food. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. He's going to take care of you and me. And Jesus said, seek first what? The kingdom of God and all those things will be added. But, but Jacob's out here and he's worried about, you know, what he's going to eat. And it's understandable to some degree. But, but if God says, I'm going to be with you, well, certainly he's going to take care of what you need. Not necessarily what you want, but what you need. So he says, if God will do all this, then, then the Lord will be my God. If, God. if God will keep his word, then I'll follow him. It's like he needed to see before he could believe, right? It's like God's word isn't enough. Does that sound like anybody in the New Testament to you? Like Thomas? Well, unless I see then I won't believe. His, his, you know, companion said, listen, he's alive. He is alive. Jesus is alive. We saw him. But Thomas says, no, I'm not, not going to believe unless I see it. Jacob is, is in this situation as well. But he makes this vow. Now, would God fulfill all those things? Absolutely. God was going to take care of him. God was going to be with him. God was going to bring him back to the land. God was going to do all these things. Then he says, I'm going to tithe. But notice what he says about that. And this isn't a message about giving. You know, uh, maybe you go someplace and this whole chapter would end up to be about giving. But don't miss it. He says, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And and Jacob knew that everything that he had, God had given him in the first place. So giving a tenth, giving back to God, which, by the way, was before the law ever came in. We say uh, giving is legalism and tenth is legalism. No, Jacob gave it and he says, it's only out of what God had given him. When you give back to God, it's just, you're just giving to him what he gave to you. 
And a tithe is not a bad thing. It makes it easy in some ways. You don't have to worry about, well, how much can I give this week? How much can I give this month? I believe in tithing because of these kinds of situations in the Word. And I believe we should give more than tithing, but that's just like a, a starting point. I'm not afraid to talk about tithing. I've been tithing since I was a brand new Christian. And, and, and have I ever gone without food? Have I ever gone without rent money? Oh, we've had some difficult times along the way. But God has provided. We have more than we, we got more than we need. Like, I mean, look at this. I got more food than I know what to do with. This journey that Jacob's on, you know, we, we, God speaks through his word, and, you know, we're all on a journey. Next time I want you to read ahead chapters 29 through 32, we're going to look at Jacob, you know, many, many years later when he's wrestling with God. And what happens there? Chapters 29 through 32, read that for next week. But, but, but you and I, we're all on a journey in one way or another. And, and where are you? Where am I on, on this journey that we're on with God? And are we at that place where the Lord is my God? Or are we just kind of, it's an interesting concept. And dad believed in God and grandpa believed in God. But, you know, I'm kind of, you know, it's cool. I'm cool. But do I have a true relationship with God through Jesus? And, and through whatever it is that I might face in this life, God is going to be with me. Is that the, the faith that I have? That God will get me there, that God is going to finish what he started. And if I've made promises to him, you know what? I need to keep them. If you made a promise to God, I don't know what it is, but you need to keep it. Or at least talk to him about it. But you know, I said that this whole thing, I, I relate to this vow because when I came to Jesus, you know, I went to a church, a friend told me about church, and this is my story. I went to the church and I kind of went because they were having concerts there, and I love music, and so that's why I was going. And there was a lot of young people there. There were girls there. I'll be honest with you. But you know, I went there, and, and, but, but the guy was speaking about Jesus. And, and it was always an opportunity, you know, to give your life to Jesus. Turn your life over to him, and and, you know, after, after a number of months, really, it wasn't, it wasn't like the first time I went there. But after a number of months, I got to this place where I said, you know what? And this is why I can relate to this. I said, I said, I said this to God. If you really are who they say you are, then prove yourself to me and I'll follow you. Now, looking back, I think, what an idiot. I am telling God what to do. I'm, you know, making this deal with God. The truth is God was real and God, you know, he didn't have to prove himself to me, but the truth of the matter is he did prove himself to me and I knew from the very next day that God was real and that God was going to work in my life. And now, that was 1976, so now, uh, how many years is that? 
whatever, a lot. <laughs> now I can honestly say God has been faithful. God has done everything that he's promised. He's proved himself to me over and over and over again. Not because I forced him to, but just because he loved me, that's all. No, no other reason than that. And I've done my best to follow him. Oh, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life, but God has, God has kept his, his promises and kept his word. And, and what, what is there left for us to, to follow him and serve him all the days of our lives? What, what else is there in this life that we can look back and say, you know, I did what I could to, to serve you, Lord. I have a little devotional where it says, you know, he says, you know, I... It, 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 I, it wasn't much, and maybe it wasn't the best, and it, maybe it could have been better, but I did what I could. At the end of our lives, can we say that? And that the Lord will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Jacob's journey. What's your journey like? I know what mine is like, and sometimes it feels like a roller coaster. When I was younger, I used to love roller coasters. Now, like, I'm not sure I even want to get up on a very high ladder. But life is still like that. But God is, God is with us every step, every, you know, up and every down. And God will bless us and keep us because we belong to him. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and, and there is so much in here and, and so much that we can relate to this guy Jacob and his journey, his life, and yet you have each one of us on a path, on a journey, and, and you're with us, and you're going to finish it. You're going to finish what you started. You're going to continue it and complete it. And we just need to trust in you put our faith in you and not lean on our own understanding and give you each and every day our lives, our hearts, our minds. Help us, Lord, to do that. We can't do it. We're just frail, Lord. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. We're frail, but we... We cry out to you. We ask you to help us along this path, this journey to live for you, to live as one of your children, one of your followers. Father, I also pray for any that are struggling right now. And you, maybe you just, like, you just can't see where God is at in the middle of all this. Well, well listen, he's there. I just, I just tell you what his word says that he is there he will never leave you or forsake you and he is there with you in the middle of the heartbreak the discouragement the depression the distress and despair as well as in all the good times he is there with you and maybe as I was given an opportunity to receive Jesus. Maybe you want to give him that chance. Maybe you don't know, you don't understand, but, but you want to uh, just give him a chance. Well, you know what? Just do it right now. Pray with me right now and say, Jesus, I, I open my heart and life to you. I, I don't understand. 
but I'm willing. I'm willing to let you have a chance in my life. So come in and, and be my Lord and be my Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?